Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface the former Manchester City winger Trevor Sinclair and TalkSport's Alex Crook as Manchester City fluff their lines Tension building around the Etihad Stadium as Hudson-Odoi flicks it round the corner into Werner inside the area takes on the poor squares it back comes back to Alonso scoops it in and it's a winner for Chelsea in stoppage time and that will dash any hopes that the title is going to be won here today Chelsea are going to beat Manchester City again and that's going to set up the Champions League final all right Also this week Trevor Sinclair has got a warning for Leicester City fans Brendan Rodgers has jumped ship before Well we've seen what he did at Celtic um, he was so successful up there talking about how much he loves the club um, and then during a really important time for the football club he just up and left so you have to look at his history you have to look at what he's done before but I think if they don't make the top four I think that that, that relationship will be tested and if Tottenham are in for Brendan Rodgers which we all believe that they will be I think he could go Alex Crook, TalkSport commentator, says Manchester United should raid West Ham for their crown jewel. A couple of smart additions. They could challenge City next season, but I'm not talking about Harry Kane necessarily. You know the player I think they should break the bank for and the player who would make a massive difference in this Manchester United team? Declan Rice. Oh. You stick Declan Rice alongside McTominay, who I like, in front of that back line, it would make a huge difference. I'm not sure, as much as they'd love to have Harry Kane, if you're spending 80, 100 million, I'm not sure that's the area of the team where they really need to invest. Plus, why VAR is still undermining itself by failing to understand the fundamental issue. Tottenham and Arsenal are in big trouble. And as well as saying goodbye to West Brom, are we saying goodbye to one of the Premier League's biggest characters? All on the ultimate review of all the weekend's footballing action from TalkSport. It's the Game Day Podcast. And a big hello to Tricky Trevor Sinclair and the aptly named Alex Crook. How are you? You all right? All good, thank you. How are you? Good, yes. Not too bad at all. Uh, I suppose the headlines from the weekend are that City falter, West Ham slip up. Trevor, anybody else that you know uh, you've played for? And <laughs> Cardiff, oh no, Cardiff didn't. Cardiff, yeah, got a draw. Got a draw. Bamba, so, the team. So Bamba got, got back to playing ways as hey, well, which that's is an great amazing news. story. Yeah, great heard, news, yeah. So I heard Bamba. you talking about that today. And um, yeah, it was a really nice story, actually, that was well, that was told on your show earlier. Yeah, best, This is, this uh, is good news for you, Trevor, by the way. Manchester City continually faltering because basically every week we, ha- we record our pod on the Thursday and Lucy, the producer, says, who should we book for Saturday? And Sam says, oh, get Trevor on because Man City will win the league. <laughs> yeah. That's basically it, yeah. So Trevor, uh, as long as Manchester City keep failing to win the title, you just keep getting booked. Perfect, um, that'll do me. <laughs> West Brom relegated, United get a shock penalty. Um, what were the highlights uh, for you, Trevor, then over the weekend? Um, highlight, I won't say highlights, but I think one of the, a big moment for me is that Chelsea beat Manchester City again. Um, second time under Thomas Tuchel. Um, it was convincing as well, I thought. I thought Ch- Chelsea were very dangerous in the game. Uh, there's a few mismatches on the pitch as well. We talk about, talked about it on commentary with uh, Mendy and Rhys James. I mean, it was a complete mismatch. He didn't have the athleticism and the pace to deal with Rhys James's speed. And uh, that's where a lot of Manchester City's problems come from. Plus, Timo Ferner again, that pace in behind. And I know he's frustratingly going offside quite a lot, but in general, he is a, a real torment to that Manchester City defence. And I can't see that changing in the Champions League final. So that was something that I was expecting... Manchester City to try and deal with better, but they didn't. And uh, yeah, that's a concern going into the final. Crook, what have you got for me? What was the most exciting thing you saw over the weekend? Uh, Well, I enjoyed Manchester United's second half performance. I thought they ran out deserved winners. Um, And I actually enjoyed 
Leeds demolition of Tottenham. Um, I thought they played with great energy, great vigour and, and just underline once again why they've been such a, a welcome addition to the Premier League. Yeah, it was really odd actually to see Manchester United go a goal down and come back and win a game away from home, wasn't it? Ten times this season, <laughs> which I think times. is a Premier League record. <laughs> Ten yeah, times but... in 14 games in which it's happened. It's crazy, bit, really. Bit of, a, bit of a concern, Harry Maguire. He, he limped off with an ankle injury, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and Because he's been class this year. Let's, we have to take our hats off to him. He's, you know, after a, a, quite a controversial summer last summer, I think his performances has been um, top draw for Manchester United. And the fact that he potentially could be out, it must be a massive concern to Manchester United fans and the manager in the team. Yeah, especially considering that he spent most of the season playing alongside the liability that is Victor Lindelof. Um, I still think Manchester United need to sign a, a, a strong defender to play alongside Maguire next season because he's basically having to do two people's work. And yeah, it's a concern, the ankle injury, not just for United, but for Gareth Southgate, who was watching as well. Sorry, hold on. I think there's a VAR check there. I think there's a potential red card on Alex <laughs> Crook for an above the ankle challenge on poor old Victor Lindelof. Bless him. I think he's been good. I think he's... <laughs> I actually, I've watched watched him quite a lot this season because obviously you look at Harry Maguire and the success and the results that Manchester United have got and the improvement in their performances and you look at the, the back two there, I think he's been good. Everyone was raving about Eric Bay when he came in, but for me, he's too rash. You know, he's too desperate to make that challenge and yeah, I think uh, Lindelof's done very good this season. Okay, well, um, and traditional VAR uh, style, they've checked it. Apparently, there was nothing wrong with it and Crook is allowed to carry on. Um, highlight of my weekend uh, was certainly not my post-match chat with Pep Guardiola. He was in a mood. And I knew he was in a mood from the moment that he stormed out late for his post-match interview responsibilities. Thunder in his eyes. He was determined to have a ruck. But in that sort of passive-aggressive post-match mode when you know he's lost style, um, I get he's a winner. He's a proper winner. And uh, he's the type of competitor that he is because of that, I'm sure. Uh, maybe, as he says, though, it was just a misunderstanding based on language. But he did stop me halfway through me trying to correct him for not getting what I was saying to him. And, and he said, I'm talking, I'm talking. And then gave me a steely fixed glare. To which I said, I think you just misunderstood my question. And then there was a pause and it was about 2.5 seconds. It felt in Samland about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> At which point he just went, maybe I did misunderstand your question. My English is bad. And we moved on. Which wow. Was, uh, so, yeah, uh, it was rumors, rumors that you bottled it, by the way. Well, I think if you listen to the audio, you'll find I didn't bottle it, but <laughs> I was very polite in correcting his assertion that he thought I was criticising his team when I wasn't. But, you know, look, we have misunderstandings. Emotions are high at the end of games and we play on. Right. Talking of playing on, should we get to the game itself? by Christensen and Jesus is in here he squares the ball to Aguero surely he's not going to miss Raheem Sterling isn't sliding in on the edge of the six yard box to steer it home at a thunderous speed and that is worth the wait for Raheem Sterling 12 games without a goal but he could just have scored the goal that seals the title for Manchester City it came about because a mistake by Christensen it was finished off by ruthless Raheem it's Manchester City 1 Chelsea 0 here is Torres into the box looking for Aguero Jesus picking up the pieces goes down under pressure penalty kick for Manchester City wow another opportunity and very quickly this game seems to have slipped away from Chelsea who are all at sea. He is going to place it down, Sergio Aguero, to take a penalty kick. Manchester City have missed more penalties than anyone else in the Premier League since the beginning of last season. He steps up right-footed. Oh, and he chips the ball straight into the arms of Edouard Mendy. The most casual, pathetic penalty you have ever seen. And Chelsea have got a four-on-four -four situation here. Can they maximise this one? It's Pulisic to Ziyech, to to right side. Low ball, back to Ziyech, left-footed, into the corner, and he scored again against Manchester City. 
City, just as he did in the FA Cup semi-final. And is he going to party poop for Pep once more? Hakim Ziyech, edge of the area, strikes it low and hard beyond Edison. And it's Manchester City 1, Chelsea 1. Tension building around the Etihad Stadium as Hudson-Odoi flicks it round the corner into Werner, inside the area, takes on the ball, squares it back, comes back to Alonso, scoops it in, and it's a winner for Chelsea in stoppage time. And that will dash any hopes that the title is going to be won here today. Chelsea are going to beat Manchester City again, and that's going to set up the Champions League final all right. Manchester City won, Chelsea two. Manchester City needed to win to claim the title. They didn't get it. Then we thought they might get over the line halfway through the Villa United game on Sunday. Didn't happen all of a sudden. There's this scenario now, Trevor, uh, that sends Manchester City into the Newcastle game on Friday night with just a four, four, single digit, four point advantage over Manchester United. Are you trembling yet, Trev? I'm not trembling, but I think, you know, fair play to Manchester United getting their result. Um, I always thought this was a tricky game. I think, you know, it, I think it's probably disrespectful to say that Chelsea are our bogey team because they've got pure quality going throughout the side. I think Thomas Tuchel's getting the best out of that group. He's rotating them really well. And I know it wasn't Manchester City's a lineup, the best lineup they could put out there. Kevin De Bruyne wasn't involved and there were certain absentees from that starting lineup. But there was also a lot of absentees from Chelsea's starting lineup, and I thought they dealt with them um, players missing out of their team better than we did. And yeah, I was impressed again with with Chelsea, um, the way they moved the ball, the threat that they carried in behind, uh, and I was in particular uh, particularly impressed with Reese James on that right hand side. Ziyech, how he got in little pockets, and uh, the continued movement of uh, Timo Werner really causing problems for Manchester City's defence. And it's, it's certainly something where, you know, you can't see too much changing going into the final, uh, but Manchester City will have to make serious changes and they'll have to work on that and, and deal with that uh, before the game um, and work a lot on how they're going to stop that, whether it's stop it at source, starting position from Edison, the defence nice and narrow, but they certainly have to put a lid on that because if they don't, I can see that being a real problem for Manchester City in the Champions League final. But fair play to Chelsea. I thought they played superbly well. Um, Manchester City at times had a decent bit of possession, um, but again, in the final third, I thought Sterling was getting quite a lot of decisions wrong. Um, Jesus kind of flattered to deceive, which is pretty much what we expect from Jesus. And Aguero took a penalty, which left me um, absolutely gobsmacked. Look, obviously the Penenka is a fantastic looking beast when it goes into the net. When it doesn't go into the net, it makes you look pretty foolish. He's gone from Aguero to Aguero. Um, But he's got enough credit in the bank. Um, It was an odd selection, though, for an experienced player at that stage of his career. Although I did like Gary Lineker's tweet, Alex, when he said, we've all been there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they played that on, on match of the day as well. I don't think Aguero should have felt the need to apologise. I think he's done more than enough yeah. uh, for that football club not to have to explain himself. But it was a strange decision. And, you know, maybe it was the fact he's not played too much this season. Maybe confidence was a little bit shot after Raheem Sterling penalties, is he? I mean, stole, stole the ball off him for the first goal. But yeah, he's missed a lot of penalties. But, I mean, listen, you mentioned that Aguero moment, which Trev and his mates love to uses a stick to beat Manchester United with. Imagine if if they don't win the league now and it's a massive if and, and that Aguero moment turns out to be pivotal. I, listen, they're still going to win the league, but I do think psychologically, I know Sam, you said in commentary, it wasn't a dress rehearsal in the true sense of the world, but psychologically, Thomas Tuchel seems to have the sign over Pep Guardiola and he does have certain managers who get under his skin, they get into his head. It happened with Jose Mourinho in Spain. I think that was a big psychological blow that Chelsea struck ahead of the Champions League final. And I would go as far as to say, I think they'll win the Champions League final. Mm, okay. I mean, I mean, some people have thought for a little while that they've got a good chance of winning the Champions League. I can't remember who that was. Uh, Chelsea have won away at Liverpool, Tottenham, West Ham and Atletico Madrid. Avoided defeat at Real Madrid and now won at City under Thomas Tuchel. He hasn't done a bad job, has he, at all? Um, and, and you mentioned that the Champions League final, yes, it wasn't a dress rehearsal. Look, Pep said to me after the game, when he was talking to me, uh, it, it would I'm talking. Be, 
it would be intense uh, if the game was this week. But in 21 days, all will be forgiven. I thought that was an interesting phrase. Yeah, I think there's. A, I think he has got the confidence that when he puts his A side out, yeah, but they there's, can get spice the, there. there's spice there. There is spice, and, and we've seen that Sam at the Etihad where they were all pallying, such talking for five ten minutes on the sideline before, before the while, the, while the players were <laughs> warming up, and then afterwards, it, rather than a, a cuddle and a hug, it, it just turned into a fist pump. And again, yeah, I agree. I think Thomas Tuchel. And this Chelsea side, I've got a lot of confidence playing against Manchester City. You know, the, the, the FA Cup final was a huge game. At semi-final was a huge game. Obviously, both teams wanted to win that game. I thought Chelsea were excellent, especially in that midfield areas with Mount and Conte. I thought they completely controlled that area of the pitch. And that was probably the biggest single reason why Chelsea won that game. And, and I think them players are going to be available. He'll try and safeguard them as much as possible to make sure they're available for the final. And I think it will be that battle in the middle of the park, which w- will eventually um, determine who wins the game. But De Bruyne, as he told me to say uh, earlier this week, makes a massive difference, doesn't he? Of course he does. Of course he does. He's one of the best midfielders in the world uh, and one of the best players in the world. And he's he's very humble. And one thing that I've noticed about him this season in particular, and I mean, there's been features on him before about how uh, intense he is and how competitive he is. But after that interview, when he says like, you know, I'm just a normal guy off the pitch. And then when I go on the pitch, I'm just someone completely different. He is a Jekyll and Hyde. And I've seen it many times in the second half of games where City have been a bit lethargic in the first half and then second half, you can almost see him. He takes the ball by the horns. He takes responsibility on the ball. He pressure, put him on, uh, his opposite number under pressure and the intensity and he inspires his teammate. And we talk about good players and great players, world-class players. They inspire their teammates and that's exactly what Kevin De Bruyne does. How do you say it? De, Br- uh, De Bruyne. De Bruyne. It's very difficult. He actually said in that interview, he actually said, very difficult. It's very difficult. <laughs> wow. Uh, which wow. was quite was quite interesting, actually. Um, I want to talk a little bit about VAR because there was a few decisions in this game which obviously came to light. I mean, Raheem Sterling fouling Timo Werner, which Trevor at the time with blue-tinted uh, glasses... You say that, but I'm just trying to be as honest and well, you said fair it as I foul. can. Well, no, I didn't say it wasn't foul. I you thought did. the force was enough that he, he, he put too much force into the challenge. And although he got, he, it was a 50-50, it was a block challenge. And although that he got plenty of the ball, yeah. his follow through was a little bit too much, okay. too much power in there. Well, any, anyway, there was a controversial decision with Raheem Sterling on Werner in the first half. Could have been a red card. Wasn't a red card. I understand VAR sticking with the on-field decision because it's not a clear and obvious error. Billy Gilmore on Jesus. Again, I don't necessarily think it's a stone wall penalty. It's probably a penalty. Might not be. It's subjective. Again, I don't have any problems with that decision because it's not a clear and obvious error. And actually, I think the Zuma on Sterling falls into the same category. It's a subjective decision. Some people think it's a stone wall penalty. Some people don't. And I don't think it's a clear and obvious error. So I, I'm not moaning about any of those decisions that could have gone anyone's way over the course of of the afternoon what I am really irritated about and I'm really irritated about this is the absolute absence of any communication to any members of the press even the big scoreboards weren't very good at it of letting people know when a VAR check is taking place inside the ground it is amateur hour it's pathetic you know we're in a top level sport that is supposed to be the peak of world football. And we are not communicating a basic to people who are reporting and covering the game. It's all right saying we feed the TV with the information, but not everyone's listening on TV. People are following it in a myriad of different ways. In fact, most people aren't watching it on TV because you're getting roughly about 1.5 to 2 million people uh, watching uh, during the actual game live on one of the, t- the, the main TV t- channels in this country. So most people are consuming it in a slightly different way. The communication needs to be a lot more advanced and sophisticated than it is at the moment, where it's me texting the geezer who happens to be in the VAR room and asking him if he can give me an explanation as to why someone hasn't been sent off. It's crazy. Yeah, they were quite, they were quite good at the start of the season, um, sending around information as to exactly who you could go to on any given match weekend. That That seemed to 
die a death very quickly. I know you were getting information via WhatsApp at one stage, but you're right. But, you know, this is, this is 2021. You know, we, we've got the technology now. We're supposed to be living in a sophisticated era and information does need to be passed on to broadcasters so that we can give listeners in our case or readers, if you're a newspaper journalist, all the information and all the accurate information. Let's just get back to the actual uh, event, what took place, why we're talking about this. And for me, it was a Stonewall penalty. I have to, I have to admit, I'm with Trev. Um, I thought it was a, such a clumsy challenge. He was wrong side of Raheem Sterling. Yeah, was Zoom was probably about, I would say, I'd guess two or three stone at least, heavier than Raheem Sterling. And he must have clattered him in three or four different places. It was clumsy. He got nowhere near the ball. He took Raheem Sterling out the game. And for me, I don't understand why Anthony Taylor didn't give the on-field penalty in the first place. And secondly, Stuart Atwell, who was a VR man in, in, in Stockley Park, I think it's an absolute joke. The fact that we didn't know whether they were looking at it or not, I think just adds to the uh, comedy. But in general, that is a ridiculous challenge I, I and it should have been you, a stonewall penalty. I can tell you firsthand, Pep wasn't happy about it. There you go. <laughs> I, I could imagine. <laughs> he just said, didn't he, in the TV interview, it was a penalty. Every, every question he was asked, yeah, it was a penalty. He just said to me, I said to him, did you think it was a penalty? And he went, come on. <laughs> I think it was a penalty. And I, I guess you have to line it up against some of the penalties that have been given over the course of the season. And they've been far less clear cut fouls. Yeah, but than there, that one. there's also been penalties that haven't been given where, you know, Phil Foden, for example, should have had a penalty, which is a lot clearer cut earlier in the season. It wasn't given or even reviewed by VAR. So I think, I don't think it's the worst one we've seen. Yeah. But I, as an individual, something that's happened that we've seen, I just I can't I can't understand why that's not been given as a penalty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what it does mean is that Manchester City still need to get over the line in terms of points, and Manchester United are not quite breathing down their neck, but they can see them on the horizon, and they're getting a little bit closer. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Leicester absolutely imploding, but brilliant, brilliant from Newcastle. Four for Newcastle, Leicester nil, Newcastle four. Rafinha inside the penalty area, plays it square, Rodrigo, 3-1! 
Leeds are an incredible team and very, very difficult to play against. Full-time Sheffield United nil, Crystal Palace 2, and it means that Palace absolutely guaranteed to stay in the Premier League. De Verna inside the area, takes on the ball, squares it back, comes back to Alonso, scoops it in, and it's a winner for Chelsea in stoppage time, and that will dash any hopes that the title is going to be won here today. Yeah, I think the most costly has got to be the Cunaguero uh, Penenka attempt from a penalty spot. Yeah, there'll be uh, room missed chances. Thiago with a shot, and Thiago rifles in the goal, and Liverpool finally get the goal, which sees off Southampton. Gibbs White, and Gibbs White has lashed it into the net. His first Premier League goal, and surely all three points for Wolverhampton Wanderers. And Manchester United are out of sight now. It's a dramatic turnaround. The ball played in from Marcus Rashford on the right, and Cavani from the edge of the six-yard area did the rest, put the ball in the back of the net. They're three points behind fifth-placed West Ham, who've missed the chance to close the gap on the top four to just two points. It's finished here at the London Stadium. West Ham nil, Everton one. Full-time here, Arsenal three, West Brom one. West Brom have been relegated from the Premier League. This result confirms that. We didn't do enough against the bottom six when we played them. That was one factor that I made clear to the players if we are to survive, then taking three points off the bottom six is crucial. Uh, we never managed to do that. Well, we thought that West Ham United were going to be this romantic sort of gatecrasher of the top four. But, you know, beware the wounded toffees. They were beaten on Sunday by a goal to nil by Everton. Dominic Calvert-Lewin back and scoring a terrific winning goal. It was a beautiful pass, actually, from Ben Godfrey. The weight on the ball, slide will pass down the side, I thought was excellent. Uh, it was a proper fight, this game, actually. Both teams had chances after Dominic Calvert-Lewin had put Carlo Ancelotti's team in front. But Everton now have lost one of their last 13 away crook and have kept clean sheets in five of the last six matches away from home. Very good on the road, not so good at Goodison Park. What did you think of the game? Yeah, well, that inconsistency ultimately will cost them come the end of the season and it will frustrate Carlo Ancelotti because clearly they have the talent, they have the quality, but they just don't produce it week in, week out. Um, I thought West Ham would win this game. I thought they'd be goals as well. You actually on Thursday said it would be low scoring and you've been proved correct. It was a good finish by Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I did say that he had extra incentive, extra motivation to finish the season well. Certainly that goal won't harm his England chances. Gareth Southgate watching Ollie Watkins get sent off. We'll come on to that. Um, I think West Ham have run out of gas and I think they've run out of a bit of belief as well if you look at the the teams at the top end of the table the teams that are winning games when they need to Chelsea Manchester United Liverpool to a certain extent they're teams that were under pressure at the start of the season to be in and around the top four West Ham didn't have that pressure so there's no real fallback from them no one's going to hold it against them if they don't make the Champions League and I just wonder psychologically if, if perhaps that's just forced them to slacken off by that 10% and those small margins make all the difference they have the best running really don't they I mean apart from Liverpool who have an even easier running Brighton and Hove Albion although that's not necessarily the case now that Manchester United game has been moved Brighton and Hove Albion for West Ham away from home West Bromwich Albion away from home and Southampton away on the final day of the season. There's still points to pick up there, Trevor. It's not over yet. Yeah, there's still points to pick up. And um, yeah, I agree a little bit. I think you, you can get away with missing Declan Rice for one or two games, but the amount of time that... And he is the best player in the team for me. Um, to get away with play without playing him for so long, I think it's just affecting the players. I think as well as the ups done at the back, really, you want Ogbonna back in there. Um, but obviously he's not fit enough to be starting games. And um, yeah, just going forward, I just feel they've, they've lost that impetus um, with Rice just being at, behind that and his passing range and the, the amount that he affects the game. And he gives Suchek that licence to go forward and, and get into the box and knowing that he's got that support and that defensive quality behind him with uh, Declan Rice. So I don't think it'll be a disaster. You know, West Ham have already superseded any expectations we had for them this season. I think if they miss out on the Europa League, um, that will feel disappointing. It will feel like a really disappointing season, um, even though then it's still probably better than what they would have expected at the beginning of the season. Yeah, but let's get a bit of perspective. This is a yeah. team that just about survived relegation last year. Correct. 
Yeah, no, big the, swing. That, whatever happens, it's a big swing. Yeah, I just think that, swing. yeah, there was an opportunity. There has been an opportunity <clears throat> to get to the Champions League. It's probably a step too far for West Ham in this stage of their development. Everton were fourth at the turn of the year. They've got a game in hand. They've got Villa, Sheffield United, Wolves, and Manchester City. Can they get into the Europa League? Well, those first trio of games look very appealing don't they um, Villa I think is their game in hand That's if, Thursday, they, yeah. if they win that they go on to 58 points level with West Ham five behind Leicester I think five points is a lot to make up in three matches but you would expect them to beat Europa Sheffield, League, Sheffield United and Wolves they should make the Europa League and I guess that brings us back to West Ham you're right Sam the Champions League was, was probably a step too far but I think it would be a shame now if they didn't qualify for Europe at all and it isn't set in stone that they will and that, and that would be unfair really after the season they've had because I think they've brought us a lot of entertainment and another team that th- managed to lose points this weekend drop points this weekend at home was Leicester City and this wow. is a real aberration they were wow. beaten by Newcastle by four goals to two that they really did miss the defensive organisation of Johnny Evans but that's not really an excuse for Soyonchu's mistake for the first goal and bear in mind that Kasper Schmeichel made an absolutely belting save from San Maxima just before that it shows you that they were defensively all at sea right from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. 4-2 flattered them, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Newcastle were far superior in every department. Obviously, it's never great. Trevor will know when you lose one of your key players uh, due to injury right before kickoff. That clearly disrupted them. But it was reminiscent of a game that I watched last season, you may remember, at Bournemouth, when they absolutely imploded against a team who would go on to be relegated. And they never really recovered from that. And we talked about it before. Manchester United away on Tuesday, uh, live on TalkSport. Then they've got the FA Cup final, Chelsea away, and then Spurs at home on the final day. If they go into that game against Spurs needing a win, the pressure on them will be immense. I think possibly the timing of that Liverpool-United game might just do them a favour because I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will name possibly a stronger side against Liverpool to stop them qualifying for the Champions League than he will against Leicester. And if that is the case, I think there are questions to be answered here because it's not fair, really, on the chasing pack that Leicester might get the benefit of playing against a weakened Manchester United team purely because this rearranged game against Liverpool has been scheduled for two days later. Well, if they were to collapse again, Leicester, what would that do to Brendan Rodgers' attitude about staying at the club? Because all the noises so far have been that if Spurs were to approach him, he wouldn't accept it. They won't be able to lure him out of the King Power Stadium. But let's just envisage a scenario where Leicester fall out of the top four. It's the second time in quick succession that that has happened. Could that be the catalyst for him maybe just entertaining the idea of jumping ship and going to somewhere like Tottenham? Look, they are a more established club. They do have access to a better um, stadium, possibly, yes, that's probably true. Training ground, actually, the, the King Powers training ground, the, um, the the tie owners have put a brilliant training ground in mm. at Leicester City. It's, it's state of the art. They've done that recently. Um, but Tottenham usually, historically, has been a, a club that's more attracted to bigger name players or more attractive to bigger name players. Could you see a scenario where he might change his mind or, or do you think he's wedded to Leicester City? Well, we've seen what he did at Celtic. Um, he was so successful up there, talking about how much he loves the club. Um, and then during a really important time for the football club, he just up and left. So you have to look at his history. You have to look at what he's done before. And for me, you know, if they don't make the top four, he wants to be playing in the. He wants to be playing in that tournament, the Champions League. If they fail to make the top four again. I think that's going to test the relationship between him and the owners at Leicester City Football Club. I think it's a completely different dimension if he gets into the top four because I think if they get in there, that's a massive success for the football club. Probably the biggest success since they've won the tour, won the Premier League. Yeah, and I think he'll be happy to stay. And I think he'll he'll still be in a strong position to dictate and ask for funds off the owners. But I think if they don't make the top four, I think that 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 relationship will be tested. If Tottenham are in for Ben Rogers, which we all believe that they will be, I think he could go. Do you think it changes, though, depending on what happens next Saturday? Because if Leicester win the FA Cup for the first time in their history, I actually think that finishing in the top four is not insignificant. It's really important for the future of the football club. But to the supporters of Leicester City, it's almost 
not an irrelevance, but it's not as there's no it's nowhere near the sort of significance on that that if they lose the FA Cup final and that's all they've got to show for their season. I think the FA Cup final, something they've never ever won before in their history, is a much greater uh, importance to the supporters of the club. I haven't done a scientific study on this, but I would imagine if you ask any Leicester fan, would you rather win the FA Cup and not finish in the top four or finish in the top four and lose the FA Cup final? I think they pick the FA Cup. Yeah. Because it's not like they haven't been in the Champions <clears throat> League in the recent past. They had that little European foray. They did very well, actually, yeah. after winning the Premier League, probably better than we expected. I think it could be significant for Brendan Rodgers for the reasons that Trevor has just said. I think he wants to be playing in the Champions League. But we should probably point out at this point that none of the teams that he's been linked with are going to be in the Champions League next season either. Even if Arsenal fire Mikel Arteta, they're nowhere near the Champions League no. and nor are Tottenham. So it's not like he's got a Champions League club but, chasing his signature. But the, the, the expectation is that those clubs are more likely to be able to give you the platform to achieve that than with respect Leicester City, whose history doesn't suggest that they're getting it very often. Tottenham at least have been doing that. I know Arsenal have been out of it for a while. But if you're charged with the responsibility of rebuilding a club like Arsenal, then possibly, given certain promises, that might be more appealing to you. But that probably is a debate for another day. A quick touch on Newcastle United and a word for Joe Willock. Four in four. Will he be desperate to go back to Arsenal? Will he be desperate to stay at St. James's Park and make himself into a local hero or test himself on the open market, Trevor? Well, if I was him, I'd want to get back to Arsenal because what I've seen in the Arsenal midfield hasn't been anywhere near as good, as productive. The performance has not been as good as what I've seen from Joe Willock. His athleticism, his desire to affect the game, box-to-box player, um, playing with freedom and playing like he's wanting to prove somebody wrong. And if you ask any player who's been released out on loan, that's the first thing you go for. Prove people who've let you go wrong. And for me, over the last two or three months, he's done that. He's been exceptional for Newcastle. It doesn't surprise me that Newcastle have started picking up some unbelievable results because you look at the team and you look at Joe Willock in there. Callum Wilson's got back fitness. He's scoring goals for fun. St. Maxon back fitness. Almiron now all of a sudden starting to look like a good player. And for me, someone who I've known for quite a while and, you know, probably gone a little bit under the radar, Murphy at right wing back. I think he's been exceptional for Newcastle over the last month or so. So I think Newcastle are a real problem and it just happens that Manchester City play them where they're at the top of their confidence levels and the form is great. And uh, yeah, I think that, that could be a tricky game for Manchester City. Look at you laughing. Is Bruce, is Bruce, <laughs> gonna, it's crooky who's laughing. Is Brucey going to win uh, Man United the title here? Oh, can you imagine? I mean, it, it's a big if because I'm not sure United will be able to win both of their games, two games in three days as a tall order, losing Maguire to injury. If they did win both those games and... Steve Bruce did a job on them. I tell you what, it's game on, isn't it? Absolutely game on. <laughs> oh, he's getting excited again, I know, Trevor. See, I know he is. It would be the biggest collapse in Premier League history, I think, if City were to lose the title from here. They're not going to, mate. It's not going to happen, I'm afraid. No. Uh, so don't get too excited. They're too good for that. Um, but what about Liverpool? Because they beat Southampton by a goal to nil on Saturday. I didn't think it was particularly brilliant. No. I mean, Southampton actually... It was 2-0, wasn't it, in the end? Was it 2-0? Yeah, I mean, they had so many goals disallowed in that game. I couldn't, work, I couldn't keep up. If I think Thiago scored in stoppage he time, he did, he did. He scored an absolute rasper yeah. in stoppage time to make great it look a little bit more convincing than it was. But look, it was, it wasn't a great performance. Um, is there a scenario though where the top four ends up City, United, Chelsea? And Liverpool. And after waxing lyrical about how open this season is and how we could have West Ham and and Leicester in the top four, we're going to actually end up with the old guard. Is that possible? I I think Leicester will cling on um, one way or another. But Liverpool's run-in after this game against Manchester United is very favourable indeed. West Brom away, they've gone down. Burnley away, they'll be safe. And then Palace at home, who will be (laughs) on the beach. So if they beat Manchester United on Thursday night, I might revisit my prediction I think Manchester United are capable of taking points off Liverpool and I think Liverpool have to win every game so for me that's hardly fair is it I mean you can't revisit your prediction after you know the results (laughs) I think think Liverpool have to win that United game to stand any chance I think um, Manchester United will beat Aston Villa today that's what I think will happen. <laughs> um, no, listen, I, I've just got to put, I, I think um, 
real praise, uh, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, two young center, central defenders for Liverpool under all kinds of pressure. Yeah. Um, the club are desperate to try and get back into that top four. So their position is really being under the microscope and Alisson playing out from the, from the back, he's really struggled, but these two young men have gone in there. It's a couple of scenarios, weren't there? Where you, you saw yeah. a little bit, a couple of short passes right to the edge of the penalty. Yeah. Area. And, and listen, we, we can't, we can't even try and imagine what, where his head's at with what he's gone no, through obviously, you know, on a personal very, level. Very and it's got to, and the, the way that the club have uh, fell away, um, from defending the championship and, and being absolutely nowhere near. Um, I just wanted to give them two guys a lot of credit because they've got two kids next to them as well. And Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and, and Roberts is not a, an old player, experienced player. Um, but I just think them two were excellent. You know, they were winning balls, not letting, you know, the fundamentals that you want your defenders to do, win your headers, don't let your centre forward turn. Uh, and I thought they did exceptionally well to, to, to do their jobs really well in really dis- difficult circumstances. Yeah, I think we'll agree with that. Um, I did think that Southampton found it a little bit too easy to take chances, but when they got them, Crook, they didn't take them and they missed Danny Ings, didn't they? Yeah, I I think um, anybody who isn't in any doubt about why it's so imperative that Danny Ings signs that contract that's been on the table for a long time now and commits his future to Southampton, they won't be in any doubt anymore because let's be honest, the chances that came their way, particularly Shea Adams, who's missed two golden opportunities... Danny Ings would have stuck those away. Um, and it's a problem for Southampton because their form, we've mentioned it already, no team in the Premier League have picked up fewer points since the turn of the year. Danny Ings has been missing for a lot of those games. They need him fit. They need him committed. Otherwise, they could really struggle next season. Crystal Palace beat Sheffield United away from home. And in the pre-match pod, uh, Crook and Darren Lewis and I were having a little bit of a stat-off about what could happen over uh, the weekend and uh, I mentioned that Eberici Eze had scored against Sheffield United with QPR and earlier in the season with uh, Crystal Palace against them and he scored again and not only did he score again he was man of the match he was absolutely terrific Mm. he ran the show didn't he? Yeah I've got I mean listen I've got a special uh, place for uh, Eze coming from QPR uh, being developed a lot of the way by Paul Hall and Andrew Impey who are the coaches there and uh, I think they've done a fantastic job with him. You know, it was, it was quite a large transfer fee, 20 million, a little bit of pressure on him. I think he took a little while to get going and we've seen a couple of little glimpses of his ability and his talent. And we have to say, he's starting to show that on a much more regular occurrence um, at Crystal Palace now. I think the players understand what kind of talent he's got. Um, he's gaining confidence, his fitness levels are getting better. And his end product, the way, I mean, the way that he glides past players, he's got fantastic balance. I'm excited about how high this boy can play and uh, how far he can go because what he's done in such a short space of time, uh, still quite a young lad. He's in England on 21. So he's, what, what is he, 21, 22? I'm really excited for him. And his goal, you know, we've seen it before, um, pieces of brilliance. He excites the fans. And I think once you do actually get the fans inside Sellers Park, he's going to be one of the favourites at the club because he's almost superseding the big boys at the football club. Um, and, and, and that means Zaha. They're starting to talk about Eze instead of Zaha. And I think that speaks for itself. Christian Benteke quietly is uh, doing his best to get a new contract as well. I think he scored uh, as many goals this season as he had in the last two or three combined. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. And a quick word on Sheffield United, who were dreadful again. Probably can't wait for the season to end. But our TalkSport colleague Alan Biggs uh, told me this weekend that Slavica Janovic is a possible contender to be their new manager, which would, for me, be a good appointment. Someone who knows his way out of the championship. He also said, Biggsy, that Chris Wilder wouldn't be completely against going back there if they could patch up their differences. So watch this space. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? That's quite a big bit of news. Talking of Yorkshire teams, Leeds United thrashed Tottenham Hotspur three goals to one. Um, It was terrific performance by Leeds United. There were a couple of odd decisions, which I think people were irked by at 1-1. Harry Kane's goal uh, disallowed. And I know that everybody's been a little bit uh, vocal about that. But Leeds have been brilliant, haven't they? Bamford with a goal, another great contribution. Now that that England squad is 26, Gareth will be more than tempted to think about taking him, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just thought it was a terrific performance all round from Leeds. And I know... Bamford is someone that Gareth has had on his radar for a while, maybe a bit unlucky to miss out on the last squad. So yeah, perhaps those extra places might give him that opportunity. But but I want to focus on Tottenham really, having praised Leeds at the start of the show. 
I thought that back line was all over the shop. You know, they deliberately targeted Aurier down the left. Sorry, uh, yeah, down their left, the Tottenham right. Reguillon, who actually started the season quite well, was haphazard again. He's been uh, like that defensively for quite a while, though. He now, has. He's, he's, he's struggled. And, and that's been a big problem for Tottenham over the course of the season. Mourinho couldn't work out how to get a tune out of that defence. And if he can't get a tune out of that defence, how on earth is anybody else going to be able to? He's exactly. the most pragmatic manager there is. But if we're talking about England and players being picked on form, Eric Dyer should be nowhere near it. I mean, you compare him to Lewis Dunk. Maybe this is not the right time to praise Lewis Dunk, having scored and then got sent off. Lewis Dunk has had a much better season for Brighton than Dyer has for Tottenham. If you're picking players on form, Dyer's not, Dyer is nowhere near, near it. And remember when Pierre Hoybier was the Emperor's new clothes at the start of the season? I think he's starting to go back now to, to the player that Southampton fans grew to know and get very frustrated with. Yeah, he did really well, actually, for Tottenham for the first half of the season. But the second half of the season, things have gone slightly different. I don't know the reason for that. I can't sit there and pinpoint it. But Tottenham's opportunity, of uh, a window of opportunity of trying to get into the top four or European football sort of went away within 90 minutes on Saturday. I think it's Mm. a real shame uh, because the optimism that maybe came with a victory over Sheffield United probably was just that. It was just a victory over Sheffield United, wasn't it? Let's be completely clear. Yeah, I think it's it's obvious. Look, just looking at uh, them as a team, they haven't got a defence uh, to win anything. Uh, that's why they, they didn't win the cup final against Who's Manchester City. Take that job and sort this team out. Well, uh, I think it, it, it really needs a it needs a David Moyes style manager who understands football. He's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of contacts. Uh, recruitment's going to be key. And like you look how David Moyes brought in Dawson, you know players like that who can defend properly. Because what you're seeing, you're seeing a, a midfielder in Dyer, who's, who's playing as a makeshift central defender and not doing a great job anymore. Aldo Vareld, I'm not sure what's going on with him. Maybe he just looks bad in, in and amongst that back five. Loris, again, for most, of, old. Most, part, most part of the season, he struggled. Uh, although he has been better of recent months. But Aurier, I mean, he's a liability. I, I can't understand that Tottenham have not got a younger player in the 23s or coming through the ranks that they developed in their academy, that is not better than Aurier because for me, he's a liability and listen, he'll do something brilliant every now and again and you think, whoa, that was amazing. That's not a defender's job. A defender's job is to be reliable, to keep it simple and to make sure you don't concede goals and he doesn't do any of that for Tottenham Hotspur. Should we do a top five countdown of the uh, current um, contenders for the Tottenham manager's job in the betting at five? Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, the current Wolverhampton Wanderers manager. He's around about 14 to 1, depending on who you bet with. Um, then it's Brendan Rogers at four. At three, it's Graham Potter, the Brighton Hove Albion manager. A little bit of a nod from Crook there is a possibility? Uh, no, I mean, I think he'd be a good appointment. I've said it before, but I'm told Brighton are quite relaxed about his future. They think he's committed to their project, to use that word, that comes up a lot. So I don't think he'll go. I don't think Rogers will go there. I don't think Nuno will either. Next. At the at number two, it's Scott Parker, uh, four to one. And uh, you could have got him at a bigger price if you'd listened to uh, the game day preview pod a, a little while ago. Um, <laughs> but the favourite, but the favourite at this moment in time, and the favourite changes every single week, is Simone Inzaghi. Wow. wow. From AC Milan? He was at AC Milan. He, he's certainly not at uh, AC Milan now. I mean, it's been a little while since he's been the AC Milan boss. I mean, I think currently he's the manager of Lazio, isn't he? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he's the Lazio manager. He's been the Lazio manager since 2016, in fact. Yeah, he was AC, at AC Milan as a player. No, he, he, uh, was he? I don't even think he was. No. Am I thinking of Pippo Inzaghi? I think thinking, yeah, Pippo Inzaghi, yeah. I think you're thinking of. Simone Inzaghi, a very much a Lazio man. Uh, and uh, and why on earth he'd want to switch Rome for North London? We will maybe find out, but he is, he's he's five to two, something like that too. North London, or as I called it on Darren Bent's boot room, the capital of mediocrity. (laughs) And that's because Arsenal are out of the Europa League, no chance of uh, qualifying for for Europe, really. They beat West Brom and relegated Sam Allies today, which is, I suppose, a a nice thing for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal to do because Arsenal have got a bit of history with Big Sam. Uh, But um, there was a little scare towards the end. In fact, there was a few scares in the game. They hit the crossbar of West Bromwich Albion before Arsenal went in front. And then Matthias Pereira actually scored a delicious little goal as well. 
well, didn't they? Which may well have unsettled um, Arteta for a little while. But they got the job done in the end. Emil Smith-Rowe scoring uh, a quite lovely, lovely goal cross from Saka, who was excellent again playing on the left-hand side uh, tonight. And uh, it was a victory for Arsenal. But, you know, look, let's be completely clear about it. You know, they they went out against a Villarreal team who had never won a European semi-final. They're currently sitting in ninth position in the Premier League. Aston Villa have a game in hand over them, although they, they probably won't be able to usurp them in terms of points. And, and Everton, who are above Arsenal in the table, have a game in hand and three more points. So it, Arsenal are going to finish ninth or tenth this campaign. And that, I'm afraid, doesn't matter who the manager is, how well the young players are performing. That is worth an inquisition. Yeah, it's not acceptable. I was at the game on Thursday night. I described it on Twitter as pathetic and spineless. And there's no point in turning up against West Brom and, and playing some pretty football and scoring some good goals. It doesn't matter. There was no pressure on that game. All the pressure was on them on Thursday. And they buckled under that pressure. I don't think Villarreal had to do anything spectacular over the two legs to beat Arsenal. I think Manchester United will swap them aside quite easily in the final. I'd be disappointed if United don't win by at least two goals. Um, so th- there's huge work to be done at Arsenal. I think the, the, the sack count, according to Adrian Durham, is that Roman Abramovich would have sacked him six times by now. It was five times before they lost that Villarreal game. And it, it just shows, really, as Simon Jordan has articulated on the White and Jordan show, that they are happy to settle for mid-table. And, they and won't that be happy to settle for mid-table for much longer because ultimately, as soon as they stop generating the level of cash which feathers the cronky nest they'll move him on. They'll get somebody else because they have to be at least challenging for European football in order to ensure that the season ticket sales continue, the merchandise continues and that money keeps coming into the coffers. TV rights for European games keep coming in. No European football will hurt them financially. And that does make Arsenal sit up and take notice behind the scenes. Of course it does. And and it hurts the brand as well when Arsenal are not playing in Europe. It's the first time it's happened in a very long time. Um, I was concerned at uh, the interview after the, the second leg when they went out against Villarreal with the interview. Uh, it really it really made me sit up. I looked at Arteta and he looked like a broken man. He, mm. he didn't seem to have answers. He'd lost his composure because he's usually quite a good guy to interview. And you listen to the sound bites and he, he comes out with a lot of impressive seems stuff. He have lost his razor that night as well. I thought he struggled. And I think that it, usually when you see a manager and, and they don't really know how to get out of the situation they're in, that's the first telltale sign. And unfortunately, I feel we've seen the first telltale sign that Arteta is out of his depth. He's 38 years old. It's his first managerial job. I know he's worked under Pep, but this is his first managerial job. He, he He's trying to take over a club with so much history and so much expectation. I just don't think he's got the experience to do that. And for me, it's too big the job. Big Sam kind of said this in the build-up to the game. You know, if he took over Arsenal when he was 38, 39, he doesn't think he would have lasted. Was it naive of Arsenal to go and pursue him so ruthlessly in the manner in which they did, bearing in mind he has no frontline experience of ever being a manager before and he's taking on a club that needed rebuilding? But is it a surprise? Because I don't think that the people in charge at Arsenal, when we're talking about the Cronkies, actually understand football. Yeah, but Edu was part of this, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Wasn't he? But that is easy. Is he's mate? It was penny pinching. You know, they had two choices at that time, really: Carlo Ancelotti and Arteta. Ancelotti ended up going to Everton, and. Arteta to Arsenal. Ancelotti would have been the more ambitious appointment. It would have been the more expensive appointment. I also think they looked at what Frank Lampard and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer were doing at Chelsea and United at the time and thought maybe this is the way forward, but clearly it wasn't. West Brom, what's their way forward? Is Sam Allardyce part of the plan? Have we seen the last of Sam Allardyce in the Premier League? Um, I think he'll stay at West Brom. So have we seen the last of him? Probably not, because if anyone is equipped to bring them up from the championship, it will be Big Sam. It's not going to be a great championship next season. Watford and Norwich bouncing back at the first time of asking. I think one of Bournemouth or Brentford will go up as well. It's not going to be a hard division to win. I guess the issue that West Brom have got is they've got a lot of players on loan, but they do have championship quality with the likes of Carl and Grant. They'll do well to keep hold of Pereira and Johnston, but I think they'll give Sam Allardyce the backing and I think he will fancy his chances of bringing them up. will take high right-footed dunk heads it down and it's in and Brighton have the lead 
and it is Lewis Dunk. And he's done everything right. He's headed it down into the corner, into the ground. Absolutely brilliant. Up towards Dunk again at the far post, oh. and he climbed brilliantly. And Rui Patricio makes a flying save to deny him a second. Gives White at an angle, skips away for one and two, and fires a shot goalwards. And it's squeezed just wide of Sanchez's near post. It took a deflection, but here's Fabio Silva charging through the middle. His shirt was tucked back by Lewis Dunk, who could be in trouble here as Fabio Silva looked to dart through, and Dunk is sent off. Now Traore, edge the D, pass one, pass two, pass three. Traore has lashed it in. That is a simply sensational equaliser for Wolverhampton Wanderers. He can make things happen. He's electric. And that is a superb finish to get Wolves back on level terms. They have been the better side in the second half. Sanchez has to come out and clear. Traore's got to it before him. Traore with an empty net, but the angle's very tight. Around the goalkeeper square to Gibbs White, who has blazed it over the top. Cross takes a deflection. Could fall for Gibbs White. And Gibbs White has lashed it into the net. His first Premier League goal and surely all three points for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves 2, 10-man Brighton 1. Wolverhampton Wanderers against Brighton finished 2-1 to Wolves. Brighton had a man sent off. It was the guy who put them in front in the game, Lewis Dunk, and he was rightly sent off. It was a silly challenge. He, the Fabio Silva was through on goals, denying of a goal-scoring opportunity. No debate at all. It was a red card. So Wolverhampton Wanderers get a rare win. Brighton still not mathematically safe, but they will be. Aston Villa uh, went ahead against Manchester United. Manchester United came back and won it by three goals to one on Sunday in the 2:05 kickoff. It's the first of three in five days for Manchester United, and they got a 39th penalty since the start of last season to help them back uh, from the inevitable going a goal behind um, and Bruno Fernandes he does know how to take a penalty doesn't he in almost unorthodox style it was an absolute rasper of a penalty but I must admit my favourite goal was Cavani's goal oh. what movement that was an out movement and then back in and then a dipping to head the ball beyond the goalkeeper brilliant yeah I commentated the game for Talk Sport International and, and the whole move was sumptuous you know the pass from Rashford on a plate for Cavani. And I think that's the benefit that Manchester United have when Cavani is leading the line. Rashford, Greenwood, Fernandes, whoever is supplying the ammunition, they know if they put the ball in the right place, he's going to put it in the back of the net. And you don't see enough headed goals at the moment, you know, at this moment in time. He's got a couple recently now. Yeah. And, and he's a super header of the ball. Oh. And, and I think he's staying. I'm hearing that he's going to sign a new one year contract. I think that's a big boost for Manchester United. He's now scored as many goals coming off the bench this season, the Premier League five, as any Manchester United player in a single season, level with Solskjaer himself, level with Javier Hernandez. And I think you have to give Oli credit. He's used him correctly. He's not yeah. burnt him out. He's, he knows that he can come on as an impact sub. He starts most of the European games because of his experience. He's going to have a big role to play in that Europa League final. And I think he'll make more contributions from the bench in the Premier League. Good, good win for United. Good character again. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has done quite well, hasn't he, Chris? He has some. He has. And I have I'm big, big arguments mm. with with both Crookie and with Simon Jordan mm. about how well he's done. And yeah, I think it's there for everyone to see. The, the camaraderie within the squad, the spirit coming back from going a goal down so many times, they're away form. They're turning into a, a really, really good tight unit. And uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has been the mentor and the manager um, I've always that. been a fan of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I've echoed that on this show, but I, yeah. there's someone who, who, who regularly pops up who, who hasn't always been as supportive. I mean, sometimes we are a bit knee-jerk though. I mean, I say we, I mean, Crook is a bit knee-jerk. <laughs> Listen, let's not pretend it wasn't a shocking exit from the Champions League against Leipzig. Let's not pretend it was a shocking team selection no. in the FA Cup quarter-final. No. But you look to the rookie managers at the start of the season, Frank Lampard has been sacked. Mikel Arteta should have been sacked time and again. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was the other. He's the only one really of those three that has learned and improved and developed the teams he's gone on. So he has to get credit for that. I still think Manchester United should have been appointing an elite coach. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is there to stay. Hopefully he's going to deliver a trophy, which is much needed. And I actually think with a couple of smart additions, they could challenge City next season, but I'm not talking about Harry Kane necessarily. You know the player I think they should break the bank for and the player who would make a massive difference in this Manchester United team? Declan Rice. Declan Rice. Oh. 
You stick Declan Rice alongside McTominay, who I like, in front of that back line, it would make a huge difference. I'm not sure, as much as they'd love to have Harry Kane, if you're spending 80, 100 million, I'm not sure that's the area of the team where they really need to invest. I think that Manchester United... Uh, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in particular needs credit because he's been building towards something and he's done well at that. I think that they need to sign someone spectacular, a blockbuster signing in the summer for two reasons. One, they need to add more star quality to that team, depth to the team and the squad, but they also need to sell some shirts because that has fallen by the wayside. Adidas have complained about that. So I think the, the easiest way to do that is to be able to get someone who is a superstar. Um, but I think they deserve credit. He deserves credit. And I think he's done well. I mean, let's not go over the top, but he, he's done well. And I'm pleased to see that he's been given the room to build and that finally we're starting to see some people who have been a little bit sceptical come round to his way of thinking. Look, Trevor, it's been delightful to have you. Uh, and until Manchester City uh, win the title... Keep yourself free, fella, um, because we'll need you. We'll have you on call. Uh, Crook, you've got a train to catch, haven't you? So you've got to get off. I have. We'll just have five minutes of your time before you go. <laughs> no. Only joking. Only joking. <laughs> just messing with you. Uh, that's it from us. We're back on Thursday afternoon uh, when we'll have a look ahead to all of the weekend's action and reflect on some of the uh, big action that we've seen so far in the Premier League from midweek. Will Manchester City be champions by then. Whatever you do, make sure you rate and review the podcast and tell all your friends to subscribe to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.